0: Welcome back to Stepping Out of the Boat with Christy Farhar. I am currently hiding in my church bathroom in the back of the sanctuary. This is where my life is today. Have you ever just had one of those days where you just can't seem to get any time alone or quiet? Well, that's where I am. And so I told Ed, I said, I'm going to the church before food pantry and I'm going to hide in the bathroom. So here I am hiding in the bathroom talking to you all. But today I want to talk to you a little bit about my journey to the Micah 68 Project. Where it started, where it's been going, and where we hope that it continues to go. So in 2010, I was sitting on my couch and my phone rang and it was this gal that said, Hey, you don't know me, but I got your number from Jenny Cox. And I think you're supposed to go to Africa with me. And I did not hesitate. I said, Okay. We talked for a minute, got off the phone and Ed said, what was that? And I said, well, this chick said, even though she didn't know me, she wants me to go to Africa with her. And he said, wait a minute, you're going to Africa with someone you don't even know. And I said, yes, why not? Because that's just how I am. And if you ask people that really know me, a lot of times I would just jump into things and that may not necessarily always be the best thing to do, but I have found with my personality, And just how I am, it's just easier for me to jump in and get things done. After she called, though, I knew that I was supposed to go. I had had this calling on my heart for Africa since I was about six years old. And I remember, I remember where I was at in my parents' driveway. And I can't even tell you what I had for supper last night. That's how bad my memory is. But I knew that I had a call on my life for Africa. I didn't know what that looked like or where it would take me. And so to me, this was the first step to get there. And so as we started this journey of preparing to go to Africa in 2011, I started to think about, you know, what things I needed to do. And then my daughter at the time was 16 or 17. I can't remember exactly, but she decided that she wanted to go. And Ed said, You know, I don't care if you go and get your head cut off, but Amy isn't going. Now, why in the world do we automatically assume that when you go to Africa or another third world country that you're going to get your head cut off or kidnapped or you're going to be rotating around a spit above a fire? I don't know, but we always seem to assume the worst. And I think it's probably because it's unknown territory. I have learned that. Going into places that are unknown are scary and hard, and for me, I like to control things. I have worked on that throughout the years, but I do not like to be out of control at any time. That's probably why I was never a drinker or did anything else, because I want to be in control. So throughout the year before um, we went, my sister also decided that she wanted to go, so this trip, trip was going to be very special for me. Um, most people know that I'm not an emotional person. And if you heard this story before, I apologize. Maybe you'll learn something new, but I don't cry. Well, okay, I'll be honest with you. I do cry, but I don't cry in public. I save it for Ed, poor Ed. I don't even like to cry when I'm watching a movie. Last week, we went to see The Lion King and in the opening scene, I began to tear up and I was like, oh my goodness, you are in a public place. You cannot cry because I ugly cry. Now, I don't ugly cry like some people I've seen, but anyway, I just, again, I like to control things. I like to control my emotions. But anyhow, I began to prepare myself for what we were going to see and experience. And so I started to read about Ghana and West Africa and the plight of the child slave. So by the time I went, I felt like I was fully prepared to go. Boy, was I wrong. I was nowhere prepared to go on this trip. And I think a lot of times that's how it works in life. We think we have got everything ready. We think we know exactly how something's going to go. And typically, it does not happen. Like I've said, there's always joy in the journey. It's not the destination. It's not the preparing. It's the journey that you find the most joy in. So we had finally came to the day we were supposed to leave, and we made the long journey. It's about a 24-hour trip. By the time you leave where you start, which we usually start in Indianapolis, that trip we started in Evansville, but it's about 24 hours by the time you land in Accra. And I remember stepping off the plane and thinking a couple things. One, it was really hot. (laughs) It's hot in Africa. And two, I remember when as soon as my feet hit that ground, I wept. Because I knew in that moment, that was exactly what God had for me. I had no hesitation at all. I knew that I was where I was supposed to be. And I knew that I had just landed in the purpose that God had planted in my heart as a child. My sister finally caught up to me and she said, Oh my goodness, are you sick, hurt? Is there something wrong? Because like I said, I don't outwardly react. I don't really show my emotions. And so I had confided in her that same thing. And that trip was the beginning of something that I could not even wrap my mind around or even know how it would go or where we would be today. It was so overwhelming to see Africa for the first time. I remember looking out and just thinking about all the trash. I mean, there was piles and piles and piles of trash and all the dirt and all the people that didn't have clothes and all the people that were hungry and asking for food and Um, I think now I try to remember my eyes on the first trip that I went because I've been 13 times now. And after a while, when you do something so many times, you don't really pay attention to your surroundings. And so I try to remember when I'm there to make it a point to look out the windows at that mountain view that I've seen hundreds of times, maybe not hundreds of times, but... A lot of times on the road from Accra to Kamasi or at the jugs of palm oil or the clay pots on the side of the road or the people selling their vegetables or things that they make. And um, you can ask any of the teams that I've taken with me. I will not. I will tell them not to sleep in the car, to take it all in. And I tell them to get back on the plane tire that you want to take in every experience that you have while you're there we go to bed later. We get up really early in Africa. I'm talking four or five o'clock in the morning we get up because I want to take advantage of every situation that we come across. Now, I will tell you that in Africa, a lot of times they are on African time. And so sometimes when you say, hey, we're going to leave at eight o'clock, guess what? Sometimes it's not eight o'clock. Sometimes it's 10 o'clock. Because I have learned that African time is different than American time. And um, I always tell Kwame, Kwame, now don't forget, we are on American time now. And he usually laughs at me and he's like, all right, mom. So I still like to take lots of pictures. My friends make fun of me because I take lots of pictures of everything, I just like pictures. I love to document things in picture form. I remember on that trip thinking a few things. Um, Number one, how spoiled as Americans we are. And it's really sad how spoiled we are, if you think about it. Think about our cell phones, for instance. When our cell phones get down to 20%, what do we do? We have to find a charger and plug it in because we cannot seem to operate any moment of time without our phone close by or electricity. When the electricity goes out, we stress out and we ask everybody on Facebook if theirs is out too. I think it's things like this that we blessed Americans take for granted. And I'm serious when I say that we are blessed to have been born in America, the land of plenty, as they say. Sometimes I feel really guilty that I was born a white American woman. And I know that sounds weird to some of you, but it so resonates in me that I don't know the issues that people of another color or race or nationality have to go through. I don't understand that because I've never had to deal with that myself. I think that's why we have to remember to keep an open mind. Not everyone looks like us, talks like us, acts like us. And so it's important when we see things that we don't understand, that we take a step back and think that they are coping with things that we will never have to deal with in our lifetime. When I went to Africa, I remember thinking it's truly tragic and horrific and devastating that these were the things my eyes were seeing for the first time. And no amount of pictures, no amount of research can prepare you for actually putting your eyes on the reality of things that are happening not so far away. That was a 10-day trip. So after we came home, I could not get Ghana out of my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about the poverty, their lack of food, the suffering child slave. And I just didn't feel like it was fair that I was sitting here in my home with electricity and running water and never having to worry about how to feed my kids or how to clothe them. And I just couldn't get past the fact that I needed to do something. So for two weeks, I sat and cried every day, every day. Now, if you asked me about my trip during that time, I'm sure I couldn't formulate into words what to say other than to cry. Ed finally said, okay, Christy, let's just do something. If this is something that has shook your world so bad, let's do something to change the culture. So from there, the project was formed. Now, I would love to say we started the project and everything was wonderful and here we are. It took a long time to figure out our role in that society and what we would do You know, at first we thought, well, let's do a residential facility. Let's just rescue every slave we can off the boat, off the lake, or and off the boat. Let's just get them all off and let's just put them in a facility and everything will be good. And then the more we thought about it, the more we thought, what happens when they turn 18? Much like the foster care system here in America, when they turn 18, then what? You know, we had to figure out what to do then, how to educate them, how to teach them how to um, just survive in life and so we thought we started to think how can we holistically make this work for the whole family unit and not just the child slave how can we affect the parents and kids alike to change a culture out of that thinking was birth vocational training centers so that we can teach parents a skill and a trade and they can go out and make a business of their own after they are in our facility And learn how to effectively sew and take all the practical tests they have to take. Because it is um, very structured. You know, they have to take an NVTI test, which is showing that they know how to do what they've been taught to do. But after they pass all of that stuff, they are gifted a sewing machine from their sponsors. So they can begin immediately with their own business. This sewing machine is $75. $75 that is going to change someone's life and the life of a family. I have heard story after story about students being able to change their lives and their family by just one year of training. One of our students, who was our top student, now teaches in our school. Another was finally able to make enough money to leave her abusive husband and rent an apartment for her and her kids. That is a huge step for a Ghanaian woman. That is something they are not often able to do because they don't have the resources to do that you know, we are constantly thinking about how can we break the cycle of slavery? How can we effectively take what we know and listen to what works in Ghana and make a change for these beautiful people? Because we cannot go in there and enforce our American ways on them. It won't work because it's not America. They have a beautiful, beautiful country. They have beautiful community. They do so many things well. It's just a few things that they've lost a little bit of touch with. And so for me, I have learned that I can say, hey, let's do this and let Kwame, who's our in-country director, let him figure out how best it's going to work in Ghana. You know, I spent a long time trying to figure out why there was child slavery, why the government wasn't doing anything about it, and how could we help eradicate it. There is a multitude of reasons why it continues to happen, and it's beyond our first world brains to figure out the whys of things, and we will never figure it out. But I have learned that we don't judge people on decisions they make because we have never been desperate enough to have had to choose to let our child go away in order to feed our other children. Oftentimes, the parents are often deceived too. You know, they're told, hey, I will give you money for your child and I will take them and I will put them in school and I will make sure they have a house so that you can feed your other kids. And they're taken 11, 12, 15, 16 hours away and they're forced into harsh, harsh labor with no schooling, no bed, no home, having to sleep on the ground, having to watch child after child dive under the boats to untangle the nets just to die. And so... Because we can't understand it, we can't judge that either. And so I can tell you that it's been an amazing journey, but it's also been a hard one. I get asked a lot, why do you go to Africa when they're hurting people right here? And to that, this is what I say. We are all called to do something different. Not everyone is called to be a foster parent or go on a mission trip or run a food pantry or run a clothing drive. If we were all called here, then who would go? Jesus is pretty clear that we are all to go do something. This is the calling that God placed on my life, the calling that he put in my heart to do in Africa. You know when it's your calling. You definitely no. Every time I go to Ghana, I am never more alive than when I'm here. It brings out something in me that I cannot explain. My friend Lori and her husband, Matt, and another couple, K.R. and Donna, went with us. Oh, and Sweet Patty. I'll talk more about Sweet Patty later. Actually, I want to have her on the show. She's 86 years old. She's been to Africa with me five times. She's getting ready to go back with me next month, and I just love her, but for another show. Um, anyway, when Lori and them went with us, uh, Lori said two things. She said, one, I am more loving in Africa. I really don't know what she means like by that. I think I'm loving all the time. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, and she said she loved to sit back and watch me in my element with the Ghanaian people because then she understood why my passion is my passion. You know, there has been so many things happen. You know, we've started the Jacob's Wells after Jacob Williams um, tragically passed away two years ago, we wanted to honor his memory. And so we've put in 12 clean water wells. Those clean water wells have allowed us to go into places that nobody else has been allowed to go in. We were allowed to go into an Islamic school and preach the name of Jesus. Nobody had ever been allowed in that school before that was not of the Islam religion, all because we gave them a water well. The reason that we're able to do so much work in Yeji is because we have put several water wells in. Clean water does something to connect people. And so it's something that we are passionate about. And that's another thing that we have done. We have also um, just built a primary school. We were there in October. We, um, Kwame and I, we were kind of being selfish. And we said, let's buy that plot of land over there and let's build us a guest house. So that we don't have to pay to stay in these houses and we can make it nice and um You know, a lot of times when you go to Africa, you don't have the amenities that you have at home. You don't have air. You don't have trash cans. Believe it or not, there are no trash cans in Africa. And so um, we thought, let's build a guest house. And then God really corrected us very quickly. And we said, let's build a primary school. And in nine months, we have built a primary school from the ground up. And we're getting ready to open it in September So God continues to bless this project, not because of me, not because of my board, not because of Kwame, but because we said yes to God, and we've continued to let God lead this project. I just want to encourage you that if I can do it, a 43-year-old, middle-class, middle-aged woman from Shoals, Indiana, you know, Podunkville, basically... If I can step out into my calling and work in Africa, you can do whatever God has put on your heart in that dream. I can guarantee you that if you will just step out of your comfort zone and go, God will be right with you all the way and he will not let you fail. All you have to do is keep putting one foot in front of the other. One baby step after another. And so I just want to encourage you guys to take some time and figure out what it is that God has for you. What is it that you are so passionate about? What makes your heart come alive? Because I guarantee you that that is what God has for you. Thank you guys. And I'll see you next time on Stepping Out of the Boat with Christy Farhar.